Alliance of Women Filmmakers, this is Visionary Voices, behind-the-scenes conversations with groundbreaking women and non-binary filmmakers from around the world. I'm Diana Means. Hello, everyone. Thanks for listening today. We have filmmakers Daphna Atias and Penny Grills talking about their film, Skin Hunger, on film, which is an official selection in the Los Angeles Women's International Film Festival. Skin Hunger on Film documents an interactive live performance that features three actors sharing stories about touch as they perform surrounded by walls of COVID-safe plastic and inviting moments of touch between audience members. If we can start by having you both introduce yourselves and the roles in the film and how you two came to work together. Hi. Hi. (laughs) Nice to meet you. So I'm the filmmaker. So I was brought on by Daphne and Terry, who run the Dante Die production company. They wanted to find a collaborative filmmaker to work with them to document this extraordinary theatre piece, which was produced during lockdown and wanted to put something on that was about live theatre and was about the importance of touch and how we've lost touch during the pandemic. And they were looking for somebody to document the performance, but to do more than that, actually, to make a film that was in its own right, something that was like a piece of art that they could, that went beyond just documenting the theatre piece. And so we, yeah, so we really kind of brainstormed it and we came up with the idea of featuring the audience members as much as the actors as being part of the film. Anyway, so I'm going to pass over to Daphne because it's their theatre piece and it was the most extraordinary experience for those who did experience it. And the film itself shows um, three particular characters experiencing this theatre piece. Um, And I think it really made the film, actually. Yeah. Thanks, Penny. I'm Daphne and I am the co-artistic director of Dante Odai Theatre Company. I run the company with Terry O'Donovan. Uh, and we primarily make theatre in unusual places, site-specific theatre. And obviously, the last couple of years have been very different for us. So we have started making more digital pieces, short films, interactive work, and also a live piece about touch at a time that none of us could touch each other. Um, so when we created the show, we invited Pini to come and work with us and, and try and, and see. And the other thing is, only three people an hour could experience the live piece. And we really wanted to find a way to communicate the ideas we had, we had around it uh, to a wider audience. Wonderful. And it's just such an interesting idea. And just during the pandemic, how everybody had to shift to make things work and be flexible. Now, so the doc is based on a production. Is the production still going on at the moment? Has theater opened back up? Theater had opened back up. This production isn't going, was very much uh, a kind of lockdown baby. It was relevant at the time that it was on. I don't think it will resonate in the same way if it was on now, as we're all back in the world. Most of us are back in the world hugging each other again. Uh, But at the time we had it on, it had a special place. Now, it was based on 
a performance and a performing place that, you know, a lot of people love to visit. Can you tell us more about that performing arts studio? Yeah. So our company, Dante Rai Theatre, as I mentioned, we make site-specific work. Uh, so we often make work, you know, in leisure centers or in self-storage buildings or cafes. Uh, and we couldn't do any of that. They're usually quite intimate, but we get lots of people in a, around a swimming pool together or in a locker, in a, in a dressing room. We couldn't do any of our usual things. We, we are based in Stonest, which is the hidden chapel in really the heart of London, in the heart of the West End of London. And we just thought it's empty. What can we do with that space? And, and we obviously, it was the only time ever that we could do a one-on-one piece and, and it will be it will be legit. And I don't know if you came across the pictures of the hug tunnels that they did in uh, Brazilian care homes during the pandemic. They would build like a, a wall of plastic with two holes for the hands. It, it, those images went quite far and wide in order to allow elderly people in those care homes to be able to have some physical contact with their loved ones at the beginning of the pandemic. And that's kind of what triggered our thinking and encouraged us to make a piece about touch, with touch being an integral part of the story. We commissioned three writers to work with us. So each of the pieces performed by three different performers was completely different, written and performed by a different person and kind of looking at touch from a different angle. Uh, one of the pieces was about dementia and and somebody caring for their dying father and the kind of final touch. Another was about intimate touch, touching hands. And the third one was was sort of about consent, but also about a kind of a broken relationship. So audiences came one by uh, three by three every hour, walked through a sort of one route that led them to see the three performances at the same time, but in different orders. Yeah, what I loved about the piece as well is what and all of Dante and Dai's work is it's very, the, the audience is part of the theatre piece. It's not just about the actors and the performance. It's site specific, but it's also very much, and that's what I picked up on straight away. I was like, you have to make this film about the people who come to see the show as much as about the show, because they, each of them will have a particular personal response to this piece of work. There was one guy who came to see the show and he was a neuroscientist who was interested in touch, but he himself didn't like to be touched. So when he was offered touch as part of the performance, he rejected it. And then there was another lady who was a care worker and she was very moved by the piece that was about caring for an elderly father and about the touch involved in looking after your elderly parent. The third one, which was, oh God, it's going to my brain now. So the third one Morgan, was the next yes. prisoner. We were talking about being in lockdown, but looking at it in a different way. And we've done a project with ex-prisoners just before the pandemic. In fact, it was cancelled because of the pandemic. But our ensemble of performers were all ex-prisoners. And we invited one of them, Morgan, to come and experience the piece. Uh, and he obviously brought his history in being in another kind of lockdown. And what does so that mean for him? So the film really got to know who these people were, the, the audience members. I often get asked to make films about theatre pieces, but we never really get to know what it's like to be an audience member and to empathise with the audience member as much as the piece itself. So we follow them very much as if we are them, but we also know something about them before we watch them experience it. 
So now that things are back open and the current film, I mean, it still resonates with people as this COVID-19 will go down in history and resonate with, I'm sure, everyone for the remainder of our lives. But now that everything is back open and you don't have the performances through the COVID safe plastic, what's next for you two now? Yeah, so um, the next documentary I'm making is for the British Film Institute. And it's actually was devised in lockdown when we couldn't make documentaries in a normal way. I usually make documentaries about theatre. And my husband's an actor and um, he was out of work and not able to work in the theatre for two years. So he started playing online computer games. He was really into playing Grand Theft Auto. And he decided he wanted to put a live production of Hamlet on inside Grand Theft Auto and invite all the avatars that he met to audition for this production. And we didn't really know who they were. They could be some Texan granny or some queer teenager in Thailand or whatever it might be. But they didn't really tell us who they really were, but they were kind of their avatar. And then he cast them as Claudius and Hamlet and Gertrude and all the different parts that are in Hamlet. And then chose locations, costumes, and um, we are currently filming that process inside the game. Completely COVID safe. In fact, some of our actors have actually got COVID, but we can continue. <laughs> so in, in a way, I've, I've carried on the same theme as, I, as Skin Hunger in that we're making a documentary which addresses some of the hangover from the creative, all the creativity that had to come out of the problem solving involved in making live theatre. Um, yeah. you know, which I think Daphne and Terry addressed beautifully. They, they had a crisis on their hands when they turned their, they came up with some amazing new idea of making theatre in a brand new way. And I think that is going to endure actually. Those, that I, I think so thing. too. I completely agree. And I think for us, the next, the project we're working on, it's funny because Finney's a filmmaker and she's now documenting another theatre piece, but we are theatre makers and we're making another Oh, it's sort of an interactive film game as well. But it was supposed to be before the pandemic, a live show in betting shops, in high street betting shops. And then, of course, we couldn't make that show. And of course, during the pandemic, online gambling has become a really big issue. So we're making another digital production that is sort of uh, an animation film and uh, basically an interactive film. We're, We're looking for how to call it right now. But we're also, as a theatre company, looking at the screen as another site for us, not just the stage. Is this like taking place in the metaverse? How are you shooting a documentary (laughs) about Grand Theft Auto and just this online gaming platform? So when you're inside the game, you can have a view of yourself from behind so you can see yourself in the game and then you can also select to see have a first person view so you just literally see what you see you don't see yourself and so I use that like a camera and you can zoom in and zoom out you can change the angle you can go up you can go down so it's exactly the same as shooting it in a normal documentary setting the difference is that you have to deal with the fact that a whole day I think it's like a, an hour a minute. So a whole day is and night is 24 minutes. So it means that, you know, if you're going to have consistency, you remember Daphne, how we had to deal with, oh God, you know, we haven't got the light for long when we're doing these mm-hmm. interviews and all this kind of thing. But we, I have a really bad problem with this game <laughs> because I, I have to shoot everything within 24 minutes. And then I, if, if it's going to be in the same time frame, if you know what I mean. So it's, it's a different set of problem solving, but it's the same kind of part of my brain being used. <laughs> 
So I feel like that's going to be a new thing, shooting films in the metaverse. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's ridiculous because Mark Zuckerberg is already kind of with his meta. He's like creating these other metaverses. It's already been done. It's already been done for like literally 10 years inside online open world games. People go in there and they go to hang out. They don't just go there to shoot each other. They go there to hang out. They make friendships. Some people even meet their spouse in there. It's also what's so kind of contemporary about it is that you can be any gender. You can be any like you can have any kind of clothes that you want on, ha- look any way you want to look. So it's like your identity is really shifting, which I think today's young people are kind of addressing really well and investigating really well in their own lives. And so it's, it does feel like a space that things are changing. <laughs> Human beings are changing. And do you see this as something going forward? Do you see somebody partnering with Meta to continue making these films in the metaverse? And how is that story and script constructed in terms of going about raising funding for this? Well, there is actually a genre called machinima, and it's been around for a while, which is making films inside games. And the only problem is that it's the artistic property of the game company. So it's like Rockstar own that game. But then so many people online that are making films out of this footage that it's almost like publicity for them. So they don't really stop you. But yes, you have to sort of, just like any documentary, like what I did with Daphna, we planned it quite meticulously, didn't we? We had quite Mm -hmm. a sort of a detailed script of what was going to happen. And the good thing was that we knew what what the actual production was. We knew how the production was structured. We knew that this person was going to come in. What we didn't know was how the person was going to experience that production. That was the random element and that was the bit that was exciting. So I guess it's just like the same within when you're shooting inside a game, you kind of know that the parameters, but you don't know the randomness of the documentary, like the elements that what's going to happen next, how people are going to respond, you know, so similar kinds of thinking in a way. So going back to skin hunger on film, like you mentioned, it was very interactive with the audience and you didn't know how the audience was going to react. That's not something that could be scripted. So I could see that as a challenge. So how did you go about that? And is there a lot of footage that you then ended up having to edit because of a response that you couldn't control or couldn't anticipate? Well, we couldn't anticipate. There were 18 audience members a day and they were all very different, uh, especially with the piece Terry performed, which I think a lot of women, uh, some women walked away and then came back. You know, they were like, oh, I had an ex that was just like you with a piece that Olaka performed that Sonia uh, Hughes wrote. There was a lot of tears. There's a lot of emotion going on. We couldn't document everyone. So the people that we did document, we ended up only documenting those three audience members. We spoke to them before. We went to visit them, as you can see in the film, in their homes. We chose them specifically because of their relationship with touch whether that's Helen being a care worker and using touch with the patients, the dementia patients in the care home and uh, how she's realized, what impact she's realized that has had. The strategy was to carefully choose our audience members and whatever they bring, take with us to the film. And how long did that interview process go? How many people did you interview to be audience members? I was thinking when you watch the documentary, it looks like they're just random people walking through the production. Yeah, that's good that it looks like that. We only interviewed those three people. 
and we had a relationship with them ahead of them coming to the performance. Uh, a lot more people saw the show, but we only filmed them and we chose to only in, to interview them immediately after they saw the show. So they came out, they didn't have any time. So you could see uh, Helen coming into the interview and kind of wiping her tears and kind of gathering herself. We just wanted a very immediate response after the show. We were really quite careful about that. We were like, didn't even let the staff who were looking after the show speak to them. You're not allowed to speak to them. They have to only say the first thing that they response when they see me, the camera person, you know. How many people saw the show? Oh, 267, I want to say. Not very many people. How long did it run? Three weeks, I think. Yeah. They had to, exactly, they had to repeat it, didn't they? How many times a day? 18 times a day. That's a lot. And talking about having to shift and adjust to our COVID times, how quickly did you put this together in terms oh, so of, that's okay, a good, here's... That's a good question. So we were going to shoot, to produce a show and shoot it back in November 2020. Yeah, November 2020. So that was really quick. The whole idea was let's make a really responsive production. This is happening now. This is what we can do now. And we spoke to Pinny already then, and we were shut down the day before we were about to start. It was heartbreaking because not only everything else that was supposed to happen got canceled, but even when we were really responsive and even when we made a show that was completely COVID safe in November 2020, we couldn't even do that. We couldn't leave our houses. So we just stopped everything. And then we only remade it in May after that. And how did you go about getting your finances together so quickly? And then how long was the editing process after you were done shooting? We did it on a quite a tight budget. I mean, because it was actually quite a kind of complex show to shoot. Like we actually had two camera people on it at one point. And there was a sound issue as well. Like recording the sound was quite complicated. So we did need a sort of separate sound recordist who was going to put microphones all over the set. And we did a lot for the money that we, we had. We had some money from the Arts Council, didn't we? Yeah, um, I think the Arts Council really made an effort to fund other kinds of projects. So even though we are a theatre company and we're not a film company, they funded us to make a film because we couldn't make more shows at that time. Now, I have some filmmaker audiences that would be you know, really interested into how you secured those funds. Did you have to write an official proposal or did they come to you because they were looking for new types of projects? No, we, we, there's, a, it's, there's a rolling program, the Arts Council in the UK. Uh, they fund music and dance and theater and they don't fund films generally. They, they are not the film council there. They fund all other arts. And you put in an application, usually it takes for a smaller grant, six weeks and for a larger grant, 12 weeks, but it's a rolling program. Maybe in Europe, it's quite different. I don't know. I guess the arts are probably quite well funded in Europe as compared to America, where and maybe in the US, it's more, you get like angels, investors and people who support, I don't know exactly how it works, but I think, I guess we complain about how little public funding there is, but I think we probably have a bit more than they do in the US. But yeah, the, I mean, the editing process was quite long. I mean, I, I edited it myself and I, I go into this kind of cave when I edit and I just like need to just grappling with the material. We had a lot of material for a short film and it was quite complex and it was quite tricky, but towards the end, we, we did pull it out of the bag and Daphne and Terry were brilliant at kind of 
you know, us putting all our heads together and realizing what the most important way to tell the story was and simplifying it a lot. Um, and then the music, of course, which was beautifully composed by um, Daphne's partner. And so, you know, the whole thing was fine in the end. I think we all just, it was a passion project. We all just really wanted to be the best it could be. Um, you know, a lot of people put a lot of effort in and time for not much money. And we were very grateful for that. In terms of time, how long were you shooting the production? I think we had six shooting days. Am I right, Penny? All together? Yeah. yeah. Um, we did shoot some early on because we wanted to shoot the streets of London when they were in the middle of the pandemic. So, because it was so really creepy and it was probably the same in New York and downtown Los Angeles, you know, it was completely empty. The streets were empty when they were normally full of people and there was red buses going around these empty streets and the buses were empty. It was really bizarre. And I said to these guys, look, we have to get this footage now. Like we're not going to be able to get it later. So let's get it. And so we got that in the bag first and that's intercut with the film at the beginning. That's how their film opens is the empty streets of London. And then we wanted to have a sense that the people that were coming to see the performance were coming from this empty streets and then experiencing this strange and intimate thing. As you say, randomly, as if it's random, but it's not, of course. (laughs) Well, thank you very much for your time today and good luck on your metaverse documentaries. I look forward to hearing more about that and having you back on the show to talk about that. It's called Undiscovered Country. Undiscovered Country. Wonderful. I will be looking for that. In the meantime, Skin Hunger on Film screens in the Los Angeles Women's International Film Festival Saturday, March 26th at 8 p.m. For tickets and the complete festival program, please visit LAWomensFest.com. That's LAWomensFest, F is in Frank, EST.com. Visionary Voices is produced by Diana Means with editing from Otaku Media. Visionary Voices is a production of Alliance of Women Filmmakers and made possible in part by a grant from the Department of Cultural Affairs. Our website, visionaryvoicespodcast.com. Visionary Voices.